0: First Light. First Light Camo. We uh, rock a lot of their gear a lot of the time. In fact, on a daily basis, I wear an article of First Light clothing, whether it be underwear or one of their uh, their Merino wool t-shirts. Great stuff. If you are a whitetail hunter, it's great stuff if you hunt out west. We love it.
1: Their wool is top of the line. Merino wool is the way to go. I'll never wear anything but Merino.
0: And they've got the new gray color. Yes. Uh, Check that out. It's really sweet. FirstLight.com. Is that HuntWise? (laughs) (laughs) Get Uh, it. Another sponsor of this podcast is HuntWise. It's an app that's basically your one-stop shop when you want to do anything with hunting on your phone. Um, It's got social media. It's got mapping software. It has a place to buy gear. Um, it's, It's awesome. And actually, this past weekend, Jared and I went to the ATA show and parked downtown. And Jared, you used your HuntWise app in a very created way how'd
1: you use it plotted a spot where the car was parked and tr- <laughs> tracked the map all the way to the theater
0: so it'll help you find your tree stand or your parked car if you want to learn more go to huntwise.com last but not least Stirka optics, optics. do you say stirka? I, I say stirka. great binoculars great rifle scopes
1: yeah i'm actually going to be rocking one on my uh, ar build that i have a
0: little red dot action Great warranty made in the U.S. Uh, Check them out, sterkastrong.com. Hello and welcome back to the Boga Hunting Podcast. This is a show for hunters of all skill levels looking for knowledge and experience. Today we talked to Fred Eichler, world-renowned bow hunter, and we started talking about arrow selection and bow tuning, uh, but then we realized who wants to listen to an hour of that, so we just jumped into a ton of hunting stories from Fred, including one of him hunting the elusive marlin. So follow along and let's strengthen your hunt. Fred, I appreciate you coming on a little background about what we've been up to this year, working on a kind of a series of podcast articles and things like that aimed at helping the person who's new to hunting kind of figure out the ropes. And so we've covered things like picking out a bow. We've talked about stands and right now we're talking about, you know, it's winter and we're trying to help people figure out good ways to tune their bows. And, you know, we thought for all the people that we've talked to, you might be one of the most well-rounded of Archers that we talked to because you have extensive experience with both the compound and traditional archery. So we wanted to talk a little bit today about, you know, fine-tuning your bow, if that works for you.
2: Now, when you say fine-tuning...
0: Yeah, fine-tuning your bow. So you get your bow, you get your arrows, you're you're setting your um, your, things like paper tuning, uh, Mm -hmm. walk-back tuning, you know. Bear shaft. Bear shaft. How do you tune your compound bow? How do you tune your your traditional bow?
2: Gotcha. Well, man, I I tell you guys, if there's... If, if this is dead set on what you're talking about, I guess we can kind of beat around it. It's just—it's such a tough thing because compounds have changed so much. Yeah, right. You know, and, and with all the stuff, like, they're even bringing back overdraws. We used to have overdraws.
3: Yeah. And,
2: you know, the different rests and the different—you know, there's so much to it. You know, I don't mind talking to them about, like, you know, I like the smaller feathers because they come around the riser better. Right. You know, I'll give you some stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. it's um, fine.
2: But, you know, everybody— you know, bare shaft tuning, like you know, paper tuning, and all that stuff. I think it's all. Uh, I think it's all important. I just don't want it to be a super boring one. Right. You know, tuning your tuning your bow to me is kind of like watching bowling on TV. or golf. <laughs>
0: Well, why don't we cover a little bit of it? We'll just tell some stories and we'll we'll go from there. Does that yeah. work?
2: No, nope, no sweat. You guys you guys lead the conversation. We'll roll with
0: it. Excellent. Well, I appreciate it. So before, you know, I know we covered a little bit in the last episode, but, like, your background is a, an archer, you know. We, if you look, see the commercial, you're the world's most interesting bow hunter. And I, th- I know that's, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, like, in some respect, you have experience beyond the average ar- ar- archer. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned before last time when you were on how you got into archery. But, like, for the people that are listening now, how long have you been a bow hunter?
2: Well, you know, I would say probably since I was about, uh, I don't know, nine,
4: nine. <laughs> since I was
2: really young. I mean, it, yeah, I, I picked up a bow, a little fiberglass bow and, and, you know, of course, like a lot of people it went from chasing squirrels and birds around the yard to, yeah. you know, then to you know, rabbits and, you know, then raccoons at the creek bottom and then deer and, you know, hogs, turkeys, and, you know, it just kept getting bigger and right. bigger Although the fun stuff is still a blast. I mean, I have m- as much fun shooting frogs as, as I ever did. So, But, yeah, it started out when I was real young with, like, a little bear archery fiberglass, yeah. you know, a little red fiberglass bow.
0: So nine, and you're, what, 32, 33 years old mm-hmm. right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are good. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm 52. It oh. goes fast, 52. Do you feel 52? Not at all. No. I, I, I mean, I went couple days in the mountains the other day did 23 miles and felt absolutely great so nice. yeah I, I haven't gotten to the point where any of the younger guys are out walking me yet so right I'm still feeling pretty good
0: at what point do you think you feel your age my wife and i were talking about the other day Man, and I, it, I feel 18 still yeah down. it's
2: probably a mental thing guys i think as much as anything like my dad's he's 73 now and yeah. my dad's still guiding elk hunters like nice you know and and mentally heck he's just he, as much a kid as he ever was so he he's you know, still passionate about it, and loves it. And I think his, his body, I think there'll be a point where your body slows you down. But, you know, he's still throwing elk quarters at the back of the truck. Jeez. You know, uh, you know, he can't, you know, go straight up a hill as quick as he as he used to. But in his mind, he thinks he can.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and so, he's he's a little smarter, so he doesn't need to work as hard.
2: Yeah, there you go. But, yeah, so it, it, it's pretty cool. He's he's still going hard at 73. And, you know, Michelle's mom was turkey hunting with us last year at 89. So, right. you know, I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of it's a state of mind.
0: Well, Jared and I have to work hard when we get out because we're not that smart, which means that means you just got (laughs) to walk a little bit (laughs) farther. Yeah.
2: which I I can relate. I can relate. Hopefully
0: we'll learn sometime because I'm sick of walking so far. Like turkey hunting every year (laughs) we go. I swear I walk more than turkey turkey hunting than I do doing pretty much any other kind of hunt.
1: Yeah, but you do. (laughs) James hasn't – when he gets turkey hunt, like he goes, he goes hard. I wander. Like, he, he yeah, it's a run and gun yeah. and wander. I do wander, <laughs> and I I always
0: feel like so in Michigan we have these short seasons, right? It's like maybe a week long, and it's it's you get one tag.
1: That's one option though. And that's unless you're that's doing the
0: general, like if you're doing the
1: uh, the one
0: the draw. The Z
1: Z. Yeah. The Z main- is all private land, and it's for the entire turkey season, which is I think it starts on April eighteenth and then ends at the end of May. Yeah. But then you can also put in for a draw of your choice, which then you can hunt on public land. Yeah. And that's generally only a week long.
0: That's what, And that's what we like to do. Yep. Nice. Yep. But, dad, at the end of it, I feel like I've walked a lot. I feel so tired at the end of turkey season. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like for – yeah. So, So, anyways – basically you've got a lot of experience with both that that's that's all that's really what what the point I wanted to make now tuning we, we talked about you know we, we've covered a little bit about tuning that's changed over the years in terms of how people have looked at it I mean i've I've read a bunch of your articles about tuning your bow you know have you always been pretty are you pretty would you consider yourself to be like a adamant tuner or is it like close enough is close enough
2: no I would <laughs> that's a good question I would consider myself kind of an anal tuner you know, I, I want my stuff to be shooting super accurately, and probably even more so now than I used to be, guys. Because I used to be able to get away with a little more because I was shooting heavier poundage, right? You know, as as we've learned, going from even watching the progression from let's just say aluminum arrows or even wooden arrows, you know, the big 2364s to the tapered 1130 seconds, you know what I mean? Or 516. You know, the large aluminum arrows now, you know, majority of guys, even the majority of the traditional guys I see now are shooting the small carbon arrows.
0: Yeah. Micro, Um, micro diameter.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, and how much more penetration you get. And don't get me wrong. I love the, the wooden arrows and used to make them, but gosh, you know, in today's busy life, you know, more power to guys if they have time to, to do all that. But, you couldn't argue the, the benefits or the advantages to carbon, you know, or the super small diameter arrows as well. So as I, and we were talking about that earlier, you know, and to get a little older and smarter, hopefully, I've realized I can go a lot lighter on my poundage. Right. Like they did back in the old days. A lot of people think, you know, old Fred Bear and all those guys were shooting super heavy bows. No, they weren't. <laughs> you know, Howard Hill was. But your your average bow hunters, there was a ton of, you know, 40 to 50 pound, you know, recurves
4: back then, long Mm -hmm. bows
2: and things like that. So, but that's where penetration, you know, becomes super important and and super good arrow flight. So it's funny because I've changed up. I think about all my setups Mm -hmm. across the years and I worked in an archery shop from when I was very young, you know, worked in an archery shop in Florida. Then I worked at Bear Archery's Pro Shop, which was very influencing, having Frank Scott, some of the guys at Bear Archery. That was down in about. Florida? That's correct. Yep. And then moved to Colorado, I think it was 20, you know, managed an archery shop in Fort Collins for years. It's funny that my own setup went from, like, three 5-inch feathers, then I went to four 5-inch feathers, then I went to four 4-inch feathers. Yep. I was a big fan of the multiple feathers, the, you know, four-fletch. Yep. So, you know, I was shooting four-fletch, four-inch feathers, then I went back to three 5-inch feathers. Yep. Then I went to three 4-inch feathers. Jeez. And now, for example, <laughs> I'm down to that little bat wing. The, I was the looking at that. Wing. Oh, they're awesome.
0: Are, how, are you doing, they're, is that a three-fletch, and they're real short, right?
2: Yeah, super short. And here's the deal. They're great. They go around the riser better. I get better clearance. You know, and they're they're certainly probably not for everybody. Yeah. And again, going back to having your arrow perfectly tuned, you know, I can to me if a guy can't cut all his feathers off yeah. and have a field point on and put all his arrows, you know, and at least the eight ring of a 3D target, then his bow isn't tuned correctly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, shooting bare shafts to me are super important, but I found when I got, you know, my bare shaft dialed right in and shooting great, when I put those bat wings on there, even when I was shooting a really large, like my broadhead is way bigger, shooting that big Phantom, yeah, uh, one hundred fifty grain Phantom or the even the three blade Trocar Muzzy, yeah, you would think it would be competing for stabilization, but my arrow's tuned so, I mean, just so perfectly that it's just flies like a dart. I'm I'm looking at my knock just going down. So, you know, things like that are super important to me, especially as you know, I had a shoulder issue not too long ago and. You know, I've still been whacking with the recurve, but I went down to a lot lighter bow. I was shooting a 35-pound pair of limbs that the bow weight was right at 40 pounds yeah. um, and killed a black bear with my recurve on public land in Georgia this last year. Oh, really? Sweet. Yeah, I shot a bunch of whitetails, too, with the same same poundage, super light. And I was either blowing through them or, you know, going through both lungs and, and hitting the, you know, the rib cage on the far side. So still impressed with the penetration I was getting. I shot my elk last year not last year's than a few months ago but the year before yeah. with my recurve with that same super light setup and my broadhead was poking out the other side of the bowl you know what 25 yards and he only ran about 80 yards and fell over dead so you know that light poundage I, I think it becomes even more important that you do have everything dialed in so yeah to to give you a long-winded answer yeah i'm very anal about about paper tuning and making sure bear shaft tuning paper tuning making sure my my equipment's flying great. It's super important. It's it's hard for me to bow fish sometimes because I can't tune a fiberglass right.
4: arrow.
2: You know, those big, heavy fiberglass arrows, they're going to do what they want. and You know, fortunately, they're so heavy that they usually... They kind of you know, figure the themselves out. Yeah. Half, halfway decent, but uh, not to bore you guys to death and chat it up too much, but I had a, uh, you know, I like doing first. So yeah. last year I shot a goose out of the air with my recurve, and that was real exciting. And then, you know, <laughs> this year I wanted to try something different and crazy and, I went and shot a marlin with my recurve. I mm. saw that. that.
0: That looked awesome.
2: Oh, it was! You talk about an adventure. I've always loved boat fishing, right? But it was it was just this huge adventure. I mean, even finding where I could do it legally, and the toughest thing was trying to find out you know information on it. The yeah. only person I could ever find that had ever done it was Howard Hill.
3: Are you serious? And Howard
2: Hill did it with a uh, with a line attached to one of those huge, heavy fishing reels. Right and you know i'm not taking anything away from howard that was that was pretty dang cool but he shot it with a bow and then fought it on a rod and reel with a drag for a while and i thought yeah that's pretty neat but i want to i want to shoot one and jug it like right. you know just a bow i don't want to mm-hmm. you know i don't want it to fight the drag i want to just kind of do it like i do my other bow fishing right. stuff so just uh you know getting prepared for that was an was an awesome was an awesome adventure but you know i was trying Different. I was trying different fiberglass arrows and aluminum arrows, and you know, fishing arrows, and yeah. all kinds of different stuff, just to try. I'm so used to it, my arrows flying perfectly that, you know, <laughs> trying to get that fiberglass arrow dialed was the was probably the toughest thing.
1: I I need to know this story. Yeah, I, I, need, I need to know how you got a marlin up to the surface and then, yeah. and then shot it. But, but actually, even before that,
0: how do you, well, like how do you figure out where it's legal even to do that?
2: So so here's the deal. When I it's it's kind of a crazy story. I, I love boat fishing. Well, anything just like you guys. I mean, you know, I was rabbit hunting the other day with my recurve. You know, I just like it all. Whatever's in season, you know, I I like to get after. You know, I was shooting, I was shooting geese, you know, with a shotgun the other day, and we shot coyotes with a rifle the other day. I I like pretty much whatever I can get out there and do. Yeah. But boat fishing's always been something I've been passionate about, and I just kept trying to up the game. You know, it was, you know, I shot carp, and then it was, oh, I want to shoot redfish, and then I want to shoot a giant alligator gar. you know, I want to shoot sharks and stingrays. And in my mind, when I would think of fish, a buddy of mine, we were talking one time, and I said, man, you know, Marlin, you know, that's got to be, like, the coolest thing oh, ever yeah. to try and bowfish." And in my mind, you know, I was like, you know, other people may not feel that way, but I was like, man, that would be so neat to try and do that. So the first thing I did is, like a lot of people, I tried to Google it. Mm. I, c- I couldn't find anything. Right. Nothing. And I'm like, what? And so we're looking and searching, and finally we found the, you know, the clip of Howard Hill, and I'm like, well, that's really cool, but, man, wh- where can you do this? So I started looking into international waters and where this is legal, and, and so I found out, and it was interesting because I even talked to, you know, some different biologists about it. You know, the, the, instead of catch and release, you're shooting it, and you're going to kill it, and you're going to eat it. Yep. But in the research I did, it's way better to shoot something with a bow and just kill one and bring it in than to catch and release 10, because two out of the 10 on average are going to die when you catch and release.
0: I them. see, yeah.
2: Which is interesting to me because, you know, people that trout fish or do all this stuff, they think, oh, yeah, it's great. I caught a bunch of fish and I let them all go.
3: Right. So
2: <laughs> you'd have been better off catching them and eating them right. than to let them all go because you're, you're killing a ton of those. They become lawn darts. You know they're they just, try, they just well, they're
0: dead and Steve so. Steve Ranella I, I forgot where I heard him talking about this, just I think actually one of his books was talking about how strange it is that you know you look at fishing as this like oh, you're not really hurting the animal, you know it's not like hunting but like you're really just going out there catching an animal, tiring it out to the point of exhaustion, mm-hmm. taking it out so it can't breathe, looking at it, flopping it back in like it's not like it's not harming anything, just catch and release even
2: right it's funny actually and if you do the if you talk to wildlife biologists or, or look at the research that's been done on fish tagging it's interesting to me so i, I did a lot of research and yeah. i found out that wow it's going to be way better to do it this way well i have a friend of mine in mexico and he had talked to the mexican government about you know all the information that mm-hmm. we found he got literally the first permit to do this in mexico to take <laughs> bow fishermen and yeah. shoot one with a bow and arrow so i'm like awesome so we got you know this was years in the process so once he could do it legally and take people out we went and we got our tags and we went out you know which is basically your fishing license yeah got our fishing license went out with him and then it was the research was huge so I talked to spear fishermen that had a lot of you know experience of uh, mm-hmm. spear fishing big fish and floats and my biggest fear was losing one I, I thought man that you know guys are fighting marlin on rod and reel for right. 30 minutes an hour you know, I fought I one. I thing. fought
1: one for two and a half. You did? Yep. Oh, back in in uh, Japan. Back when I was in Japan. Yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah. two and
2: a half hours. Two so and a you half. see what I mean. It sucks. You see what I mean. <laughs> I caught one that was 547 pounds years and years and years ago in Hawaii, and it was the same thing. Fought it for a long time, yeah. so that was my big concern. I'm after striped marlin, and right. the ones that were in the area we were at, we knew they were going to be anywhere from 75 to you know 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a marlin, right. and mm-hmm. even those sized marlin take a long time to land.
3: Right. So right.
2: I was super concerned about my, my arrow pulling out, you yeah, know, right. it, it, you know or, or making a shot where the marlin could get away. So what was neat is in looking at marlins and, like, the gill plate, you know, I was like, man, I think I need to put a pretty fatal shot on one. Like, I need to try and shoot one, you know, in the gill plate and, you know, you know, in the vitals, something that will take a lot of the fight out of the fish. Right. You know, I was going to go for, uh, to jugs. And a buddy of mine, big spear fisherman, is like, "Oh no, you need elastic. You know, you need you need bungee cords that spear fishermen use. So it doesn't put a shock on the arrow; it gradually pulls. You know, it's more doesn't rip it out. Exactly, exactly. So I got spear fishing floats that had, you know, the line went in the middle of a rubber like elastic shock cord almost. Mm -hmm. So it was. I I mean, I don't. I I could go on about it for a long time because it was so exciting, but." So my buddy is a really good marlin fisherman, and he said, Fred, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can tease him up to the boat. So that's what they would do. They would do live fish, and we would watch for birds. And when we saw the marlin and the, the seals or, you know, stuff, sea lions hitting hitting these schools of sardines, we'd race up there, and you'd see the marlin hitting these sardines, and we would flip a, a live bait in, and he would reel it up fast and try and bring it up past me. Well, you know, 20% of the time, the marlin would, you know, they're so fast, they would just snatch the bait. Other times, you know, they would follow it almost to the boat, and then they would break away. Yeah. You know, there was tons of crazy things that were happening, but they got it to where quite a few of them would follow them up past the boat. And it, it was it was just it, the adrenaline rush and, you know, watching these marlins just come in. It, it, we videoed the whole thing, and we even had some underwater cameras going, yeah, and cool. it, it's sick. Like, it's the coolest thing, so I can't wait to to air that but need to say i ended up smoking a marlin got a good shot went through his gill plate yep. uh, i think there's gonna i think the next issue of Warner magazine is gonna have it but nice it i got awesome penetration it went through one side out the other and it the head lodged in the gill plate the marlin took off we deployed the jugs because part of it was not getting tangled up in the jugs too i was freaked out about that i'm like man right. somebody gets a If you get an arm or a leg, and I had my buddy right there to help deploy my jugs, and I was going to help him deploy his, I'm like, man, this could go south because in the back of a boat when it's bouncing and waves, there's all kinds of things that could happen. You know, we got rope laying all over. I'm like, holy chowder, this could, you know. It's a lot going on. Honestly, I was like, ah, you know, if rope twists around my neck and I get dragged (laughs) down by a marlin, that's kind of cool. That's a good way way to go. That's how
1: I want to go out.
2: I don't (laughs) want to go out (laughs) out like Elvis in the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? That would be kind of a. (laughs) That would be gross, but that's a way cooler way to go, right?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, we talk about that a lot. Like, if you have to go. How are you going to go? Bear would be cool. Marlin, being dragged down by a Marlin would be pretty sweet. Shark would be kind of cool, too. That would suck. Right. I mean, it would suck, but you're going to be dead soon anyways. You know?
1: Yeah. You exactly. you'd put me you'd so, put me yeah. out of my misery though. You've told you've told me that in the oh, past. Oh, I would
0: 100%. Some the other day Jared <laughs> fell and scraped his knee and I was I was like, "Well, I can put you out now. I'll take you out if you want."
1: <laughs> Blink twice. A good friend. Blink twice to That's kill good. me. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I, I would do that for you. <laughs>
2: yeah, my wife offered to do it multiple times.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm pretty sure Jared's wife regularly. I've, yeah. I feel like I've <laughs> seen that. That really battle. Yeah, I could put you. I could take you out. So you got any big? You know, that that obviously took a long time to plan. I, I would think that regular. So regulations have to be strange in like what waters or what countries. So, like, you have to be in Mexican waters to get the Mexican tag to apply it to the, this fishing. Is that is that how that works?
2: Yeah, for that one, the tag that he had yeah. was in Mexico and in Mexican waters. And that's what it was. it was just, you know, part of the fun of anything is learning the regulations or what you can do, what you can't right. do. and You know, the meat was amazing. I've had Marlin before. Mm-hmm. Some restaurants oh, serve man. it. And they even sell it. But, you know, the meat was, un- man, it was unbelievable. Yep. So uh, we had it, like, sashimi-style, yep. broiled, oh, baby. smoked, fried we ate it like every way you could eat it which was really awesome and we fed everybody the whole crew that was that was there at one of the fish camps we were at so that's awesome uh, you know it, it was just a it was just a cool adventure so kind of like i think we had talked about we might have talked about the goose out of the air i can't remember if i did that right before or right after we talked i don't talked, think we what,
0: talked last too much about it
2: yeah maybe it was after we talked but yeah i went out with my with one of the boys last year and, yeah. and uh you know, shot a goose out of the air with the recurve, which was like, that's another first. I'm like, that's right. really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I've shot pheasants and stuff, but I want to shoot a goose. And yeah. Got lucky, and we got that on video, which was really, really cool. So, How, how close you know,
0: are just, you getting these geese? How, I mean, is it like a 20-yard flying shot? Is it like 40 <laughs> it, yards?
2: It, it's just, it never pans out like you think. Right. <laughs> so the fact that we even got our video was a fluke because I set up two cameras. So it was just me and my son. Sometimes we have an actual cameraman, but we were just going to go out and play.
4: So yeah.
2: I think... I think he was shooting the Hoyt Buffalo, and I was shooting my Hoyt Story. But we went up, and we set one camera up to where it was facing straight up. So we got in a position where we thought the geese would fly yep. right over us. And then, which, of course, we were like, oh, great, we're going to send an arrow up, and it's going to come down and land on our forehead. Right. But So we got, we got in one spot where we thought, well, they're going to be coming over us. So the camera was just facing up. And then I set another camera off to the left of us. Yeah. facing us, and I thought, well, that'll be kind of cool, I'll get, you know, me and him shooting you up in the air, back. Yeah. you know what I mean, and it goes, so, fluke of flukes, the first block that comes over, it's like, five or six keys, and it comes over, draw back, I shoot, and I put a, I put a flu flu through the wing, Yeah, and I'm like, ooh, that was awesome, yeah, you know, right. like, really close, but, it was funny because I've shot the flu-flus, and even though that goose was really close, like only, I bet it was 15, 20 yards above me, the slow flu-flu, I was really, you know, I was like, man, it was just, it was so slow yeah, that it, it just doesn't shoot like my regular arrow. So I told my son, I'm like, I'm going to a regular arrow because <laughs> I know where they shoot, and I just think I'll be more accurate with a regular arrow Boom. than a flu-flu. Yeah. Well, the next <laughs> flock of geese come over, they fly to our right. So we're not even, we know that it's not on camera because the camera's facing straight above us, right. but we're just like, awesome, you know? So these geese come by. We both draw back. And the last goose is just a little closer, but it's like 40 yards. Right. We both draw back. We both shoot, and I <laughs> smoke this stupid goose. Like, <laughs> guys, I wish I could, I, it was just, it was lucky. I wish That uh, is an I, amazing I mean, I hammered, shot. And it goes down, and I am freaking out. I literally run my son over. Like, knock him over, because I'm (laughs) running to the goose, because I'm so excited. We didn't even think anything about it. Like, we honestly did not think we had a video, because there wasn't a camera looking at that. We just had one set up facing us. Well, we get back, we're all excited, and we look over, and he's like, man, you think we got it? I'm like, no way. There's no way we got it. (laughs) We grab the camera, and you know the excitement. Like, for me, the camera stuff is cool, because... You could show people, and it's one thing to tell somebody, like, yeah, man, I was charged by a grizzly. Right, exactly. It's another thing to show. So it was like, we we, go, we, we back the camera up, and we look at it, and we both freak out. It's like, what a fluke. <laughs> because you never, even in the Fred Bear, or the old Ben Pearson stuff, you yep. know, when they're shooting stuff in the air, it's, it's so rare you ever see the shooter and the bird they're shooting and at. Hit, in the exactly. Because it's yep. so difficult. But this was Crazy because you could see both of us. Yeah, you could see us drop back, see us shoot, see the geese slide and see it drop. All of the same
0: thing. amazing. So, just oh, randomly yeah, lucky it was, got it all in. The,
2: so, oh, for yeah, pe- it was just a fluke, and I wish I could tell you. Yeah, we had a cameraman. We did this. It was so no. It was, we just brought we bought two of those little three hundred dollar cameras with it, right. You know, <laughs> just, you know, you know, or two hundred. I don't even know what you know, they're the cheap little flip open ones. Yeah, we set them up and set them on a tripod and happen to catch like one of the coolest things to me that I that I've done with a
0: recurve that is so for for people that are that don't know a flu flu is an arrow with giant feathers so you can shoot it into the air and it doesn't just go it actually kind of it gets to a point that basically like stops and it just drops right so so it shoots a little different it you don't have so much you know distance on it but it's it's for shooting things in the air like like geese that's uh, right
2: are 100% you? and 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 I think it goes back to Will and Maurice Thompson are the... And I think that's the first record of anybody talking about a flu flu. And I think... One of the Indian guys is the one that mentioned it and uh, they called the flu flu because of the noise it made when it was shot
0: <laughs> really I didn't know so, did not know that
2: yeah if you look up uh, there's some interesting information on flu flu so I'm I'm pretty sure you might want to check that out but I'm pretty sure it was Will Maurice Thompson I think it was in the witchery of archery was one of the first references to the to the flu flu so really cool but yeah there's uh, that's a great explanation for people that don't know and it's a great way to shoot squirrels I've shot squirrels and rabbits and pheasant and you know, like you said, it won't, because of the re- the increased resistance yeah. of the super large feathers, your arrow will only shoot, you know, 60, 80 yards, yep. you know what I mean, 100 at best, and then fall to the ground. And if you're shooting aerials, that's what we shoot a lot of because your arrow just doesn't pitch off into the middle of nowhere. I'm
0: an idiot. I need to use them for squirrels. I would yeah. have a lot more you arrows. Do. Mm-hmm. I shoot, uh, man, if I'm hunting and I see a squirrel, very likely I'm taking <laughs> <laughs> taking a swing at it. It's-
2: oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's that's like for sure got to happen.
0: There. Yep. Uh, the thing is that, you know, you're bored, the, they come out, but I just love, they are delicious. I love squirrels. I love eating them. So it's like, if yep. I a lot of times I don't come home with a deer, but if I can come home with some squirrel some meat, meat squirrels, that is not a, a loss.
2: Yeah, that's a win.
0: But I feel like right now yep. it's winter time and they're getting real savvy. The squirrels by me. <laughs> You know.
2: Everything is, yeah, <laughs> the rabbits on our place are like, oh, yeah.
0: oh <laughs> I, I used to be able to get so close, and now it's like, man, if I take one step in the woods, it's like, oh go yeah they go something's up so when you're how do you practice for something like a flu flu are you are you throwing stuff in the air and taking shots or how are you practicing for for games Yeah, Yeah, they're the
2: best uh, shooting aerials with flu flu to me is just one of the most fun things you can do with a bow but so yeah and what's great is at a at a closer yardage they'll shoot just fine and yeah. again you know, using the same spine, and there's different types of flu-flus you can use, but if that arrow spine correctly, they usually fly great and, and would surprise you with the accuracy. The tough thing is it's only a 15 to 20-yard. I mean, as far as shooting super accurate before it starts to tail off, you're talking relatively close shot. Yeah. So you know, but hey, how often are you shooting at 40 yards at a squirrel or a bird? Anyway, well, <laughs> usually you're shooting pretty close.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would like to say that. Yeah, I wouldn't don't, <laughs> don't as much as I do. Yeah. But you know, I gotta look. It's like we would call it, you know, like bow hubris. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm overconfident a lot. Like oh, I can hit that, and then it's not even close.
2: <laughs> it's way better to be overconfident, not confident enough. That's a, Mike Palmer used to tell me. That those were the keys to successfully shooting a recurve. He never. And it kind of blew me away. He told me one time I watched him grab a boring story, but super good guy, Mike Palmer. But he yeah. uh, he's still he's in his seventies and still winning traditional competitions like field archery out to like I think eighty yards with a recurve, ridiculous. Re- the guys I watched him I watched him at what was it? I think it was sixty yards or seventy yards. It was over fifty. I watched him put four arrows that you could have covered with between a softball and a soccer ball.
0: That is ridiculous, Just, and that age well oh dude, what?
2: He's, and that's in his 70s. He's 72, oh 73 years old. The guy still shoots like an animal. But he was the one that that probably spent the most time teaching me about how to shoot traditional equipment. Yeah. And I was with him in Texas one time, and I saw a jackrabbit, and I was like, oh man, I want to go. You know, I really want to shoot that jackrabbit. And he stopped the truck. We were driving to go hunt. He's like, all right, go ahead, shoot him. You know, he was just like, you know, whatever. Yeah. So he stops the truck, and I get my bow out, and I start sneaking down the road, you know what I mean, to get closer to the right. jackrabbit. And Mike pulls the truck up, next to me, rolls down the window, and he goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> "Um, sneaking up to shoot the jackrabbit. And he goes, just kill it. And I'm like, <laughs> Mike, it's, it's way too far. And he goes and he has this disgusted look on his face, like, I have not taught you anything And
4: he <laughs> gets
2: out of the truck, he grabs his recurve and as quick as you could just knock a arrow, draw back and shoot, he just doom boom and friggin smokes his jackrabbit at like fifty yards. I mean and just Jeez. like doesn't kinda hit it. Like you he know, smokes it. Yeah. And he looks at me and he goes, You just kill it He said, Ten yards is the same as fifty yards and I'm like, Not to me Yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's right, it's a lot smaller. Yeah. But his his confidence i can't even tell you i mean that's that's what is probably the hardest thing for a lot of people to get over they look at it and go oh i can't make that shot right whereas guys like i think ben pearson and you know fred bear and howard hill and and a lot of those a lot of those guys there wasn't a can't do you know like oh yeah it's a running caribou out there at 80 yards i got this right exactly (laughs) you know it wasn't a you know, it, there was no thought to it, so it, it was it, it was cool to have a guy like that uh, giving you a hard time all the time.
0: Well, I'm sure he, what is he? He was probably shooting split finger, the instinctive style. So he's not yeah. even ranging; he's just looking at it and just knowing exactly. Oh,
2: yeah. just ripping it out there.
0: Knowing his equipment. So you've got yeah,
2: that's it, and shooting the same stuff all the time. That makes a huge difference. A lot of guys change bows, yeah. even compounds, recurves, and change poundage. Man, I try and shoot the same. I shot 54 pounds for. <laughs> 30 years, I don't even know, a long time. But, you know, I shot the exact same. I would either upload or download my arrow weight, so I was shooting the same weight arrow. You know, there were a handful of exceptions where I was, you know, going after buffalo or something crazy. But the majority of the time, I was shooting the same FPS, same exact, you know, poundage, so everything was matching up. And you were Um, shooting those muzzies. Your stayed the same.
0: Those muzzies, right, those fixed blade three mx3s or
2: yeah i like the i like the mx3s a lot i like the phantom a lot yeah the mx3 that's what i i shot a lot of stuff with the mx3s last year
0: but those 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 tips aren't like getting you up to they're not like 200 grain tips like you see a lot of guys shooting they're mostly like 100 125 grains right
2: yep 100 percent. and they were designed a lot of people don't know this but the the muzzy trocar like with the you know trocar head Mm -hmm. that that michelle's dad invented that was designed as a traditional head a lot of people think it was compound head it works yep. great with a compound that's all i shoot with a compound yeah but it was designed as a traditional head all her dad shot was lombos and recurves yeah. so i'm constantly amazed at you know the, the penetration that i'll get with a head that's not a cut on impact like the trocar if i'm just shooting deer or elk right. you know what i mean something you know, now when I go to, like, a buffalo or you go to something giant, I'm like, ooh, nope, a couple, couple extra inches might help.
0: Yeah, you're going to need uh, a little bit more up front. Yeah, uh, exactly. What's your uh, current ratio, maybe percentage? Like, are you 50, 50 compound traditional or, you know, I, where are you at? Oh,
2: like what I shoot? Yeah, I'm still probably 70% traditional and 30% compound.
0: Is it just based on that morning you, you wake up and think, it's a compound day or, or how you does it You know that what,
2: Somet- lately it's it's... It's been my shoulder as much as anything. Oh, right. Yeah, I banged up my shoulder pretty bad and I just kept re hurting it. You know, I was throwing hay. I hurt it. I came off a horse not the way you're supposed to <laughs> with <Right>. the stirrup. <laughs>
4: right.
2: <laughs> the, the horse decided I was going to take another exit and uh, and he won out. I had it on my shoulder. And, you know, I I, I had a tore, partially torn rotator cuff that was really giving me some issues. So a lot of times it was, you know, how bad's my shoulder hurt today? Or, you know, do I want to shoot a bunch of arrows? Do I want to shoot one arrow. You know, what? What yeah. can I do? So uh, sometimes decisions were made on, on that, and still are.
0: <laughs> are we going to see you with the uh, mouth tab anytime soon, pulling it back with your teeth? No,
2: I hope not. White shoe, <laughs> and I've known a couple guys that have done that. But, man, I'm just, uh, I don't know if I'm tough enough. I'm you know, i afraid teeth would pull out and all kinds of stuff. Say, can you pull
1: them back with dentures? <laughs> man, that's a good question, man. I don't know. I, mine are in pretty good shape, but I've got the
2: wooden dentures. So oh, I'm yeah, really that's right. That. That's right. I just paint them. I just paint them white again every three weeks. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> don't you know.
0: don't even have to brush at that point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you're when you're looking at setting up bows, you know, people, a lot of the people that listen and, and shoot us messages and stuff, shoot compound a lot, shoot traditional. Um, you are, like I said before, kind of in the unique position that you do both. What is harder to set up just from zero to ready-to-go hunt?
2: What is more difficult to set up?
0: Yeah, just the bow, not the skill level and everything else that, that obviously right. comes with it.
2: Man, to me, and I'm not trying to give you the cop-out answer, but it varies so much right. uh, per bow and per person. There's some setups that, man, you just grab it and throw any any dang arrow in it, and it looks like it's shooting great. But, yeah. you know, there's... There's so many variables now with the hard cams on the compounds, or right. you know, is it a round wheel? Is it a one cam? Is it a you know, what kind of bus system or cable system does it have? There's you know, how what's the axle length? Is it super short, where it's going to be way more critical, or is it a longer axle length, where it's going to be a lot more forgiving? Same with a recurve. There's so many variables a yeah. recurve or longbow. Does the guy have a good release? You know, I've had guys that they shoot and the arrow whips ten inches through paper, and. I could shoot the same bow, and I'm shooting a bullet hole. Right. And not that I have a great release, but it's not as bad as the guy that's doing
3: it.
2: <laughs> that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there, it's not, and I'm sorry to, to give you this answer, but, yeah, there, to me, there's not a that's not an easy answer. Right. Like, oh, compounds are harder or recurves are harder. It, it, there's so many variables thrown in there, guys, that uh, it, it, I've seen it change from guy to guy and bow to bow.
0: Yeah, and I, I feel like we see that quite a bit, too. And yeah. it, even bows, sometimes you get a bow, and it just basically sets itself up. You hardly have to do anything, and it's just ripping right you know, mm-hmm. lasers. And then sometimes it's like you mess with it and mess with it. I feel like you had one where it just had, I
1: don't remember what bow
0: that was. Yeah, even. we
1: won't we won't mention the, the manufacturer, <laughs> but I had it, and it, I just could not. Tune it past 45 oh, yards. I've had those two. You know?
2: You're ready to throw it away. Yep. Yeah. Right.
1: You want to just... And I've, I've almost... The
0: other, <laughs> it was actually a couple of years ago. There was a point where I had it by... I had, it was actually a compound bow. By the bottom limbs, and I was fixing to just toss it in a tree. Like, I was winding oh, yeah. up, and I'm like, this. I hate this bow. But then, like, you know, you, you get some of those bows where it's like you hardly do anything, and you feel like this is too good to mm-hmm. be true. It's, it's already good Yeah, and and same thing with with broadheads i mean you mentioned fixed broadheads and, and for a lot long time in my life you know i spent a lot of time shooting the the uh, mechanical based on the belief that you know less i don't have to mess with tuning as much because they shoot just like field tips but you know with a with a well-tuned bow i mean you can really get your field tips and your fixed head broadheads shooting pretty much the same
2: yeah and i you know open on impacts are perfect in some situations yeah but you can, you can certainly have failure with them, too. And, you know, if you Google mechanical failure on broadheads, there's, like, pages and pages and pages of oh, guys yeah. <laughs> that, that that have tear-jerking stories about their big hunt. Or, and I've watched it happen with guys with elk and deer and bear and all kinds of animals, mechanical failure, things that happened that, you know what I mean, that caused them to, to not get the animal. We had multiple guys this last year where, you know, heads opened in flight and, you know, caused them to miss, like, one guy missed a 20-yard shot at a bull because he didn't realize when he put his broadhead in his quiver, it had uh, opened, yep. he knocked it, shot it, it flew off at a crazy angle, and a 20-yard shot at a bull that, you know, this guy can shoot out to 80 yards of his compound. It uh, He completely missed it. So, you know, but if you Google fixed broadhead failure, there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the there's stuff, probably a reason.
0: They rarely don't it, deploy.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's one of those things where you go, yeah, they're, they're certainly okay sometimes, but I, I tell... Especially with inexperienced guys, I'm yeah. like, man, why add a whole other difficulty level yep. to your equipment? You know, if you're going to go to, a, to an open-on impact, make sure you understand archery first. Make sure you understand how to tune your bow first. Yeah. Use a fixed blade. You know, harvest animals with it. Understand it. Understand, because if you go to a mechanical, understand all the advantages and disadvantages of it as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what shots you can, and what shots you can take with an open-on impact and why.
1: I can actually speak on this firsthand. I I had been uh, stationed in, in Quantico, Virginia during my time, and when I was out there deer hunting, I had a, <laughs> a perfect 25-yard broadside shot on a nice big eight point. The broadhead I was shooting had one of the shrink-wrap rubber bands yep. that oh, slide yeah. on there. And mid-flight, it broke and actually opened up mid-flight, and I completely missed the deer at
2: 25 yards.
0: Yeah, well, the, the weather makes those bands. Like, if it's cold.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: You, how many shots do you get like that? You know, what I mean that's right. a, that's a tear jerking story for a guy that you know. You know, how many opportunities you'll remember that for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. And if you've been shooting a fixed broadhead, that wouldn't happen. Right. No.
1: And 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 to kind of go on that too, this pass hunting season, I was I had two successful bucks that I killed. Yeah. But looking at the actual shot placement and the exit wound of yeah. of the ant, the bucks that I'd shot. Yep. Only one side of the broadhead had opened up. Because you used mechanical this year, too. Yeah, I tried out mechanical this year. And when it went in, it went in right behind the shoulder. Yep. But when it came out, it had almost like tailed to the right and came out almost down by the knee of the opposite leg. Yeah. Which makes me think that only one side deployed on impact. You would think, you you, you had a big,
0: the heart literally had that slice mark right through the heart. Right. And it still came out the other side leg.
1: Yes, Area. like not like like if you're lining up the arrow, it's it's, it's not turning around yeah, there. it's not in yeah. the way it's supposed to be. So even though it, I had a successful kill, it it almost seemed like the broadhead didn't work even correctly when it right. hit correctly.
3: Yeah,
2: yep, that's exactly. But my point is, you mm-hmm. know there's things that can make it more difficult and you know there are some great open on impacts out there oh yeah but fixed blade to me there's some great fixed blades and it just adds a whole nother man it adds a lot to it and it's just just like you've experienced with that eight point you know in in virginia it's easy easy to have something like that happen
0: yeah yeah i mean conversely i the the biggest buck i ever shot i was shooting a uh, open on impact broadhead and i you know I always just aimed a little bit farther back thinking I'll just go like hit lungs mm-hmm. and I have more soft tissue to hit and I shot it. And that thing like, I mean, it blew like a fist size hole through it and it died in, in 10 yards. So, I mean, I mean, they do work and there's a reason why a lot of people shoot them, but yeah. Yeah. If you get, you, there's some, obviously some, some benefits and some drawbacks for, for whatever you pick.
2: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: So you have you, you the big hunt or the one of the big things you didn't, you, you do a lot of pretty <laughs> cool things in a year for hunting was, was the marlin, Fishing, uh bow fishing trip. You got any big plans for for twenty twenty? I mean, new decade twenty twenty. What what do you have in store?
2: You know what? I I just keep cranking. I I put in like I do every year for a ton of tags. I don't yep. know what I've what I've drawn yet. But I uh you know I usually try and zip around and, and chase elk in a couple states. Yeah. So I'll probably have two or three states I'm chasing elk in. I usually try and chase chase deer. And, you know, five to seven states, depending on you know what's going on. And then you know, bear and yep. uh, antelope, mountain lion. Of course, turkey's always fun. Nil guy, I like chasing those in Texas. Oh yeah, uh, free range snow guy's pretty fun. And so it just, man, it just depends. A lot of it depends on on the drawings because I, you know, I put in for a lot of public land hunts and yep. see what I see what I draw and what I can go after there. And Colorado's amazing because you know I, it's got, like, everything. I shoot a lot of animals <laughs> in, in Colorado.
0: I know. Why don't we live in Colorado? It's yeah, like, I don't know.
2: You guys should. Ten species, a big game. Yeah, a third of the like a third of the super slams right here in Colorado. Well, it made it easy
0: when you when you you last time we talked, you you were kind of mentioning how like it didn't make the hunts easy, but it made like the opportunities like Colorado you take oh. take take a third of it, you know, right there.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right right off the right off the bat. So you're not you know you're not putting in for non-resident tags. It's less expensive, and you can hunt a lot. You know, right here.
0: We got to get to Jared. We got to get out. We have to get out. Bear hunting in Colorado in the spring. Actually, I've got a work trip that I'm trying to roll in a bear hunt with. Solid uh, move. So I feel like that's a pretty savvy move. Uh, but the the tags prices are going down because I feel like you guys got a ton of bears out there.
2: We do have a ton of bears. And, it's you know, government wheels turn slow sometimes. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that, that, that they're finally getting out more tags. Uh, I'd like to see more tags. I don't know if I like the reduction in cost so much as, sure. you know, that was money going to the state. But, you know, when when game wardens are killing hundreds of animals in the state of Colorado, you know, literally hundreds of bears. Yeah. Um, and they're not going, you know, the meat's not getting utilized, and taxidermists aren't getting paid for mounting them, and meat yeah. processors aren't getting paid to, to, to butcher that meat. That's a, that's a terrible thing to me. So I would much rather Just see... A big hunters. waste. Oh, it's a huge waste. So, you know, we had an issue. I was very vocal about it. A lot of people were. So I'm tickled to see that they've finally kind of shaken that up a little bit, and, and our getting more tags out there so
0: well and you're um, also paying the, the the wardens to go shoot them so you're there's a lot of just wasted resources when they do that kind of stuff we, we have it on the east side of our state where they're they do things even where they're catching the deer they're uh new, basically neutering them making them sterile. unable sterile that's sterilizing them and then letting them go and i'm like that is just such a bizarre way to handle a problem
2: oh it, yeah you know it, it's, it's very frustrating it's yeah, Very frustrating, right. to say the least. But I am tickled. I think that's a step in the. You know, I think that's definitely a step in the right direction. You know, they saw there was an issue, right? And a lot of you know, and a lot of sportsmen were, and a lot of sportsmen were complaining. You know, sportsmen yeah. and sportswomen were, you know, felt like you know that's taking from you know from from hunters, not only residents but non residents as well. So I am tickled to see that. And Colorado does have a lot of bears. Yeah. And I think uh, you know, to use Texas as an example with mountain lions, I think it would be very difficult to shoot out all the bears. Uh, right. Sorry, that may be an archaic way of thinking, but <laughs> right. my example is Texas and mountain lions. Texas allows you to shoot mountain lions on a small game tag. They're considered a varmint. Go shoot them. You know, shoot them on site, shoot them anywhere, <laughs> shoot them with whatever weapon, pretty much. And there's still plenty of mountain lions in Texas, right. and they've been they've been doing that for a long time. And the majority of Texas is private land. Right. So, you know, when somebody tries to make the argument with me, oh yeah, you know, you can you can only shoot this many lions in this gigantic unit. Because we don't want to impact the lion population, I'm like, uh, I think maybe right not giving the animal as much credit as you need to be there.
0: Well, coyotes are a great example of that too. Mm-hmm. Like, the more you feel like the more you shoot them, the more you see them. You know, I know.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and to a degree, that's correct. If the resource is there, you know, the you know Mother Nature's got it figured out. If the resource is there, they're going to have more pups. Yeah. So they, you know, there will be more. There will be more coyotes. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times. Uh, i disagree with some of some some management decisions at different right. places but hey all we can do is uh all we can do is voice our opinions and uh you know try and show scientific or scientific data and make sure that Choices are being made on scientific data yeah. or management decisions, and not uh, not at the ballot box.
0: And there's been, I mean, there's so, there's a lot of great organizations that are that are fighting for that. That uh, I would say, I mean, they really haven't been around that long, but have just a ton of voice and has have made a pretty big impact recently. So that's that's pretty cool to see.
2: Yes, hundred percent, I agree with you. And we're we're fighting right now with uh, wolves in Colorado. Yeah you know
0: yeah. which is just a, a joke but yeah I we've been following that a little bit we we don't have the wolf problem here so much in michigan although isle royale we got those we keep trying to get wolves to, to go on that 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 island and they keep swimming away well hey fred thank you for taking the time to today to to talk you know we, we always appreciate having you mm-hmm. on and, and just appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and the people that listen in
2: my pleasure guys i'm, I'm honored you had me back on and uh, good luck keep on being the outdoor communicators that you are we appreciate it and uh you know we need it yeah same thank to you. you
0: thank you so much thanks for listening to this episode don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and give us a follow on instagram that way you can stay up to date on what we're doing see you next week